This is Effed Up, a conversational podcast about injustice, true crime, and rosé. Season one of Effed Up is a story about the corruption in one state's crime lab. Listeners are advised that this podcast contains opinions that are our own. Hi. Hi. We're super happy to be here. It is so hot. It's so fucking hot. It's mid-September as we're recording this. Yep. In which is LA. the hottest month in LA. Which is basically our summer. Mm-hmm. I just left winter. I don't even think we're officially in fall yet. Fall no. is September 21st. The 20th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Keith yeah. was just in New Zealand where there was snow. Mm-hmm. Kia ora, people in New Zealand. Is that hello? It is. Cool. It's like hi, goodbye. Can be a bunch of different things. Oh, it's like aloha. Ale- it's exactly. Like Hawaii, yeah. yeah, that's what I was told. I don't know if that's accurate. Okay. Well, namaste. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. That. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm Priya Hubbard. I'm Jessica Borges. I'm Keith Burke. Okay. So- Welcome to another upbeat episode. Yeah. Actually, I mean, there are depressing parts of this, <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to this, this one. This is a good one. Yeah. They're all good, but. Yeah, this this good. one is, I mean, there's been a lot of emotion mm-hmm. in the last few, and as we promised Keith, we would take him down, 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 down. <laughs> and they almost got an emotion. Almost. <laughs> they failed. <laughs> <laughs> and now, it's not that we're going to bring you up, because it's not like this is particularly uplifting, mm-hmm. but we get to poke fun a little bit at some of the entities surrounding the quotes science in that lab and that really is when we are at our best i agree so making fun of terrible people and terrible things all right so to catch you up to speed what we've covered so far greg taylor was exonerated in february of 2010 in large part due to the fact that sbi bloodstain pattern analyst dwayne deaver had failed to include a confirmatory test that proved that a substance on greg's truck was not blood the ag at the time roy cooper called for an audit of the lab The audit report was released and it revealed 230 cases of wrongdoing. Further investigations revealed 74 more cases. The winner of those combined reports was a guy named David Spittle, who was responsible for around 100 of those cases. Go, David! What a douche. We also found out that getting out of prison after years of being locked up is simultaneously amazing because, yay, you're out of prison. And also terrifying. Because what the fuck do you do now? We covered the effed up financial and emotional costs on these people, the victims' families, the families of the exonerated, and also you, the taxpayer. And the cost is you, Keith. Yeah. Yeah. What did I do? You're the taxpayer. Oh, yes. You're just impacted by all the people. I do pay my taxes. Yeah. So you're you're impacted by these wrongful convictions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the cost is really fucking not worth it. In our cheeriest of episodes, we covered death row. As some of the names in the audit, it turns out, were condemned prisoners. And some were even tragically executed. We've also explored some of the practices within the lab, including a direct link between lab employees and law enforcement and prosecutors. And back in episode three, we talked about how in 2005, three defense attorneys, including Leslie Lincoln's lawyer, Buddy Connor, and a woman named Diane Savage, lodged complaints with the SBI's lab accrediting agency, Asglad Lab, about the North Carolina SBI Crime Lab. My favorite acronym. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're bringing it back for you. Ugh. We... Uh, I stand by it. That is a terrible acronym. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're going to 
fully get into that and even talking about how it's a terrible acronym. Mm -hmm. Are there worse ones coming? Yes. Well, get ready. 100%. Buckle up. We've heard that the lab was investigated around that time by former FBI agents similar to the audit, but there was no public report about it. No one really knows what was found or what was cleaned up or what was swept under the rug. We do know that after the audit, a lot of fingers were pointed at one individual, Dwayne Deaver. But no one seemed to think beyond him or beyond the lab, despite the fact that there was an oversight entity who was supposed to be keeping an eye on this lab, as well as others in the country, and helping to ensure that this shit never happened. And that's exactly what we're going to explore, as well as another effed up case in this episode, part one of the acronyms are effed up. So here we go, starting with the effed up case. In 1992, a young man named George Good was in his mobile home with his brother Chris and a buddy, Eugene DeCastro. They were hanging out when George's landlord, Leon Batten, showed up to collect rent. For some reason, Chris and Eugene ended up outside with Leon, the landlord. And for another reason, a verbal fight broke out between the three of them. George stayed in the trailer. The fight outside became incredibly heated, and suddenly Chris and Eugene physically attacked Leon. Like, this is escalating so fucking quickly. So... George was still inside of his trailer at this time. Chris and Eugene beat Leon and then inexplicably stabbed him. Wow. Okay. And again, this is escalating super fucking quickly. We don't have a lot of the details of this. All we know is that there are the two guys outside with the landlord Mm -hmm. stabbing him to death. And George is still inside of the mobile home. Just watching the prices, right? Like no, I think he's watching what's oh, just going like on, watching. but he's okay. like fucking terrified and he doesn't know what the fuck to do. Okay. So they wow. killed the... Yes. And wow. also his wife, a woman named Margaret, got a call that an altercation was happening with her husband and people oh, over like at else in the George's trailer, park? trailer. Yep. And she ran over there to George's trailer and Chris and Eugene, for whatever reason... No idea, possibly panic, possibly like hyped up on adrenaline. Who knows? They turned their focus on her and then they killed her as well. Yeah. So George was in shock and it would seem that he was outside at this point. And Chris and Eugene snapped him out of it. Like, I think he was like sort of standing there sort of dumbfounded and they were like, yeah, there's two dead bodies outside of his house. Yeah. So George fled with the other two men. But he had nothing to do with the nothing actual stabbing. So at some point, Chris, George's brother, handed George Leon's wallet. So they'd taken Leon's wallet. So maybe it was a bit of a robbery. Like maybe it was about money. Who knows? But George didn't get far and was arrested really quickly. And his brother was arrested shortly thereafter. And Eugene was arrested the next day. Okay. These were not men who had the time to pop home and take a quick shower and change clothes. So it makes sense that Chris and Eugene, who had brutally beaten and stabbed two people multiple times, were still covered in blood when they were picked up. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, and this is important. George was not. Right, because he was inside. Mm -hmm. The SBI crime lab at the time even verified this. But a knife was found near where George was arrested, and George had Leon's wallet on him, so he was convicted. 
George's trial began in 1993, and a young lad named Dwayne Deaver was a rising star in the bloodstain pattern analysis section rising of the serology lead doofus <laughs> <laughs> of the serology unit in the SBI crime lab. You might have heard of him. Ugh. His other well-known works include Michael Peterson, Greg Taylor, and having 50 cases cited in the SBI audit. Ring a bell? Not a piece of shit. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Rings all the bells. Alleged piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> at trial, Deaver testified, and this is at George Good's trial. Okay. At the trial, Deaver testified what that there was... What year is this again? Ni- 93. 93. Okay. Deaver testified that there was invisible blood on George's boot. There's quotes. Quotes. Have you like heard of that? Blink, blink, blink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what? Right. So he testified that there was this invisible blood on George's boot. Like microscopic? I think that's kind of what he meant, but he was saying but that invisible he is what he went it? with? I don't know. Yeah. Listen, if you can get away with invisible blood, you could literally put anyone in prison. But why yeah. did nobody go, uh, what? Yeah. Well, please hold. Oh, sorry. No one thinks to ask if this was his initial test or if there was a confirmatory test. Because at the time, no one knew to ask. Because it's 1993. Right. This is before they realized yeah. that, like, oh, yeah. wait, let's double check our work. Yes. Like, somebody needs... You learned that in third grade. Like, double check your spelling or, like, right. your your... Multiplication tables. All of the things. Multiplication. Yeah. Arithmetic, but that (laughs) that's a hard word. He did it. Arithmetic. Yes. Mm -hmm. So no one thought to ask about the coveralls that George was wearing and the test done on them. Two total. Two different analysts. Two negative results. But the defense didn't have access to the files. So no one knew. And no one's gotten back to us. Right. Negative as in there was no blood. Correct. Right. And no one has gotten back to us on these discovery laws that we mentioned in the last episode, like why Brady versus Maryland doesn't basically cover everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And since we had asked for people to get back to us, that episode hasn't aired as of this recording. So if there are people that do know the answer to this, we haven't gotten those answers yet. Because we haven't aired that episode. All right. Anyway, as per our fucked up little podcast here... And the last couple of episodes that we have covered, George was tried capitally. Everything is terrible. (laughs) You ever thought about a singing career? I'm going to take this show on the road. Great. (laughs) So he was tried capitally and he was found guilty and given the death penalty. Based on invisible blood. And yeah, and having the wallet and just like proximity to the knife and What about the other two? Well, the friend, Eugene, was also sentenced to death row, and George's brother, whose clothing was covered in blood, was awarded a life sentence. Why? This is what we don't get. I don't know if he did, like, a plea deal or what happened, but, like... But it's, like... I mean, he's literally covered in in blood. Right. What? And he gets a lesser punishment. Exactly. That makes no sense. Yeah. Death row makes no sense to me. Oh, there must have been a lot of invisible blood. Ooh. He was soaked. Okay, well, that, that makes sense now. <laughs> he was soaked in invisible blood. Yes. Mm. So, all this fucked up shit is happening. And in 1997, a woman named Diane Savage came on the scene. So, Diane's name has popped up here and there throughout our series, including the episode The Lab is Fucked Up. 
In this episode, I'm very excited to say we get to learn all about her and it's pretty fucking cool. So Diane Savage was born and raised in New York. Already a hellion, she was kicked out of her family home at a very young age and scrappy. She fended for herself and got a job in a lab. And she'd been working there for a couple of years when the lab workers decided to unionize. And she helped them with that and also with a bit of community organizing. So she totally loved doing this work and wanted to figure out how she could help people more in this kind of way. And law school seemed an obvious choice. And because she's a badass, she got into Georgetown. Wow. Mm-hmm. Good and school. It, right? Go Bulldogs. Bulldogs. Oh, look at me. Wow. Oh, my God. I feel super butch. You're so sporty. Because <laughs> when you look at me, you think of sports. Yes. Yes. Immediately. So it was during her time in Washington, D.C. that she met her now husband. He ended up getting an opportunity, a job opportunity in North Carolina. So they packed up and moved. Diane told me when we first spoke that she was told by someone upon arriving in North Carolina that she had three marks against her. Why? Because she was a northerner and she was a woman? and Oh, yeah. One, she was a Yankee. Two, she went to a hoity-toity school, Georgetown. And three, she was a woman. Yep. God forbid you have an educated woman. No! Yeah. But I'm clutching my pearls. Oh, the right heart! <laughs> Call the police! It's so funny, like, that that (laughs) sort of, like, fragile masculinity (laughs) that, like, you can't handle that, like, a woman is educated and can handle her. Like, please hold on to your hat. Oh, sorry. It gets worse. (sighs) This is our feminist episode. Diane's first case as an attorney in North Carolina was George's appeal in 1997. And as we've mentioned, being on death row affords you two benefits. Two, defense lawyers. Which is good pun intended, if you're, like, fighting for your fucking life. Mm -hmm. Right. George got Diane Savage and Lisa Williams, who you might remember, defended Derek Allen in his appeal. So that was last two episodes ago. Yeah. So as Diane was reading through the case file, she saw that presumptive tests were done on George's shoes, but she couldn't find the confirmatory test. She was concerned about that. So she brought two motherfucking guns to a knife fight. Her lab background and Marilyn Miller, our favorite forensic badass. This was Marilyn's first experience with Deaver's science, science, woo, 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 woo. Yeah, obs. More she like was science, science, boo. <laughs> boo. So obviously, she was super impressed. <laughs> Soup's impressed. So basically, phenophalene was the presumptive test that had allegedly been used to confirm blood on George's clothes, meaning that it was possible that he was in close proximity to the murder. This is what they said in, in the, his trial. On the trial. Yes. Yeah. So at the appeal, Diane laid into Deaver, asking him about his confirmatory test that we all know was standard operating protocol in the lab. Deaver claimed that he hadn't done one. Shocker. Lies. Okay. So you're saying he did a bad job? Well, he's saying that he didn't... Allegedly? He didn't do one, but we know that he always did one. Yeah. He just never reported it. it. Oh, he just didn't put it in the report. Yeah. Right. But oh, because it confirmed that there was no blood. He's saying here that he didn't do one full At stop. All. Hmm. Yeah. Which is weird. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we're going to circle back to that later. So the judge in this case, a man named Jenkins, did not take kindly to Diane Savage living up to her last name. In turn, she didn't like that her client was on death row when he was fucking innocent. Right. 
So the DA was not super happy with the way Diane Savage was treating Deaver. Oh, I know. Call an ambulance. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Also, she had those three things we mentioned earlier going against her. So according to Diane's brief summary, Judge Jenkins told Diane that she engaged in character assassination and maligned elected public officials. Ironically, the judge also said if Diane were correct about Dwayne Deaver, a grand jury should be convened and people should be prosecuted for perjury. Well, no shit. Allegedly. Yeah. Diane said that this judge struck the pleading, which meant that she was going to have to start all fucking over again. Because of what she said about Deaver. Right. But she She, pointed out all the flaws in the case. What did she do wrong? Because it reflected poorly upon an elected official that is like held to this high standard. Well, he sucks at his job. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the judge was defending him. None of this makes any fucking sense. How dare you... Do you young not, lady point out that he's shitty at his how job? How dare you be a woman from the north who went to a hoity-toity school? It is horrible that like she's clearly like pointed out flaws in the case, and just for the simple fact that she's, she's an making, educated woman from the north, it's all like, oh, we must throw this case out, and how dare you speak about 100%. this person? One hundred percent. Okay, so and in addition to this, he took what's called judicial notice, which according to Cornell Law School site. Also hoity-toity, judicial notice is used by a court when it declares, and by a court, a judge, when it declares a fact presented as evidence as true without a formal presentation of evidence. A court can take judicial notice of indisputable facts. What do you mean? Break that down a little bit. The indisputable fact in this case is that that Dwayne Deaver is a good quality, upstanding citizen who's doing his job. And so the the courts are able to throw out something that they believe is not factual. But that's an opinion. That's not Right, but he's saying without evidence. So Judge Jenkins' indisputable fact was that the three of them, himself, D.A. Tom Locke, and Dwayne Deaver had impeccable reputations in the community for honesty and integrity. Oh, because no one had, like, the audit hadn't happened yet. So no one knew that he was, like, a fucking shitbag. To allegedly. really, really hammer his point home, Judge Jenkins reported Diane Savage to the State Bar for Discipline. What? She yeah. was investigated. Are you fucking kidding me? And removed from her cases. Because she fought back against Deaver's science, science, woo, woo. Yeah, because he's pitching fucking invisible blood. This isn't like a fucking Marvel movie. Right. However. Oh, I'm all angry again. She was cleared of any wrongdoing. Yeah, because she did nothing fucking wrong. Exactly. And I just wrote mainly because she did nothing wrong. I think that it's also important to note this was 1997. And if people had listened to her then... Well, let's put it this way. It could have shaved 13 years off a lot of people's sentences and maybe even saved some fucking lives. Right. But she fucking tried. And the NC SBI crime lab and its employees were like fucking Teflon. And beyond what we've already explored, there were some fucked up reasons for that. It's a good old boys club, basically. Some of which include as glad labs as the element of P club. So who is as glad Lab, you ask? Oh, so glad you asked. I'm going to Did you ask? Who, you. who is that? Great. Good job. Oh. <laughs> Great. Sorry. Well, a little, we're going to tell a little, you. A little delayed. Thanks. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> okay. 
According to the News and Observer, the only outsiders invited to review the work of the SBI's lab for the past 20 years missed all the problems. Hmm. And Nailed it. Yeah. As of 2010, the only accrediting agency that, well, accredited the SBI crime lab was Asglad Lab. This is the entity that should have been aware of all the fuckery at the crime lab and should have done something about it. The fuckery. So Asglad Lab is the American Society of Crime Lab Directors Laboratory Accreditation Board. Oh, come on. Shorten <laughs> it up, guys. <laughs> Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's so hard. Yeah. But it's not to be confused with Asglad. That must be really fun if they're like at a cocktail party and like, I work for Slash. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the flaccid cloud. The more sort of like cocktails, the more drinks they Books. add, the more letters they add. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of like us, the rosé. Not to be confused with ASGLAD, which is just the American Society of Crime Lab Directors. Or, actually, that's really fucking confusing. That's the same fucking thing. So you should be confused, because we are. Well. <laughs> Yay, acronyms! <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> and as a warning, I know we told you earlier, but this episode's going to have a fuck ton of acronyms. Yep. And they're all terrible. <laughs> Basically. There's just a lot of letters. In our other episodes, we've already discussed the seemingly intertwined nature of an NCSBI crime lab. That's the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation Crime Lab. We've also already discussed how lab employees seem to work hand in hand with prosecutors and law enforcement. Asgard Lab isn't much different, unfortunately. And they're the accrediting I'm body, sensing a pattern which is here. Not good. Of acronyms? No, of, of, of bullshittery. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, as, welcome sorry. to our podcast. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, Asglad Lab HQ, the HQ stands for headquarters. I know that one, headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Thanks. Uh, stands for headquarters was located in Johnston County, North Carolina. By some accounts, Ralph Keaton, the executive director of the agency, wanted it in close proximity to where he lived. Makes sense. No yeah. one likes a long commute. Nope. Traffic sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In 2016, Asglad Lab and an organization called ANEB. ANAB? ANAB. ANAB. Come on. Joined forces. What is that one? Oh, wait. ANAB is the. Sounds like. Sounds dirty. Wait. ANAB oh. is the ANSI ASQ National Accreditation Board, which is a goddamn acronym hidden inside of an acronym, also known as Acronymception. <laughs> blink, blink, blink. I mean, Keith is literally blinking. That's like all he can do. He's like, how do you fit that on a business card? <laughs> you pay extra. Like, what does that stand for? <laughs> okay, so the go- hidden acronym stands for American National Standards Institute. That's ANSI. Uh huh. American Society for Quality is ASQ. A short trip down the rabbit hole suggests that there are many other acronyms and mergers, but the only ones we need to know about for this episode is that it's not 300 hours long, is ANAB and Asglad Lab and their merger that happened three years ago. they were high when they came up with these names. (laughs) I mean, I feel like I'm high reading them. Yeah, it doesn't sound like anything positive, which is supposed to represent something good, but... Okay, so ANAB and Asglad Lab are the most important ones. And And they merged like three years ago. Yeah. Okay. So... They merged three years ago, and their new entity is called ANAB, which is weird because it's... ANAB it, ate the other one? 
Basically. <laughs> well, when I was reading this, I thought it was weird that Asglad Lab and Anab merged and their new name was just Anab, which is basically like Anab is the guy and Asgard was the girl and they got married and then Ad- Anab was the guy's oh, name. Oh, that's cute. And he they took just his took his name. <laughs> Wouldn't you think if they merged, they'd come up with a new name instead of so just being... They are one of the original ones that was merged. Right. But here's the difference between Jess and I, because I was like, or they wanted to hide the Asglad Lab name <laughs> that is completely dishonored and, spoiler alert, oh. they sucked. So yeah. Anab ate them. Yeah. To be yeah, like, don't worry about this. It, yep. We'll just call it Anab. They haven't figured out this one sucks too yet. Yep. Did yeah, they, hers am I, is am more I jumping logical. Again? Did they find is, out? Yeah, I think no, that's definitely I, I what it like was. I feel like mine though. is depressing, and yours is like <laughs> they got married. Yeah, <laughs> skipped off into the sunset. They had a civil union, <laughs> but yeah, the SBI was there as a witness. Yes, <laughs> invisible blood everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, but the entity we're dealing with for now for this podcast is 2010, which means we're dealing with Asgard Lab. Yeah. So not the I think ANAB. No. So Jess is gonna get into that history, which is super interesting. The early goals of Asgai when it was formed in 1974 was to address the sort of quality control for forensic labs and practices, which seems great. It was decided that accreditation should be the most meaningful approach to achieve this, which makes sense. But Asglad was not an accrediting body. So around 1982, Asglad Lab was born. Labs accredited with Asglad Lab must be compliant. (laughs) (laughs) Hang in there. Hang in there. (laughs) There's so many letters. Oh, yeah. I know. Labs accredited with Asglad Lab must be compliant with their standards and be up for reaccreditation, which includes an on-site inspection every five years. Seems like a big gap. You'd want to do it regularly. Yeah. Same. We also felt that way. The process for accreditation includes a tech or supervisor selecting at least five cases for review. So, like, say they don't want Asgard Lab to see that they totally fucked up Greg right. Taylor's is it, case. Is it random selection? Like, They don't have to show it. Oh, that's bullshit. They can cherry pick which ones yeah. they want to be looked Look, at. Look, here's our best cases. Give us a gold star. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Ugh. And if the lab is not found to be compliant, they'll be afforded an opportunity to correct the issue. Not unlike a health inspection of a restaurant. So if a lab is non-compliant, there's an interim inspection. So you, if they get there, it, can be an interim. Just don't go there and eat fish, and then come back when they have an A. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that seems nice. That seems mm-hmm. legit. I mean, on one side, I'm sort of like that seems really fucked up, and like major corrections need to happen in that lab. But at the same time, I'm like maybe fuck ups do happen occasionally, and they do need time to like address those mm-hmm. issues. Or whatever. No, I mean, I get mistakes happen, but also there should be some dings or repercussions or something. And it should be more than once every five years. And it should be more than, hey, give us your five best cases. Right. So please hold on that. It should be like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. But you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. So at some point after the audit, Chris Swecker said to the News and Observer, remember Chris Swecker? Yes. From the FBI did the audit. Yes. Good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah. Yeah. At some point after the audit, Chris Swecker said to the News and Observer that, quote, there's this idea that Asgard Lab is infallible and the oracle of all accreditation. It was surprising to me that they didn't get a better sense of what was going on in the lab all those years. Right. 
Well, it's not surprising when you sort of see that, like, they got to cherry pick the cases. and Well, right. It's more surprising to us that it's surprising to Chris Swecker. Yeah. Like, how are you surprised, dude? Right. Right. Yeah, that shouldn't. Right. Because Asgard Lab also fucking gave fucking labs a fucking heads up when they were coming in for a fucking inspection. Really? Yeah, they let them know in advance. Hey, we're coming. Get your cases ready so we can look into them. Yeah, because no one's going to go, oh, here, look at these five ship box cases. Right. Okay, so this heads up gave Lab some time to do a, some house cleaning and sweep up some shit under the rug, if need be. Uh, much mm-hmm. like I do before you guys usually come over to record a podcast. <laughs> the, the flight of the bubble be like for everything I'm in like, closet. You should see my closets. They're just covered with like <laughs> random shit. And, like, like friends, like Monica's closet. Yeah. We just So get- you have a heads up that we're coming over. Yeah. You cherry pick the cases yes. that we're going to be covering. I, yes. Most of the okay. shit is all like shoved in the closet. Amazing. And then as soon as you leave, they all fall out. Amazing. <laughs> so if labs were given time to clean up messes and cherry pick cases for the review... Most labs are going to come out looking pretty shiny and pretty. Yeah. Obviously. So Asgard Lab might see a mistake here and there on occasion, allow time for the SBI crime lab to adjust for that mistake, and then give them an accreditation. Which is even worse, because if you're too stupid to even realize, like, oh, we give him a bad case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You'd think you would only it's give like, him a case. like, we're already smart enough to give him a perfect case. <laughs> I think it's more- They still found something wrong. Yeah. It's more like if there's a, a public minor. Case. Yeah, true. That that comes to light and they're like, oh, guys, we're going to have to come in. What is somewhat inexplicable is that according to a few articles by different publications, the SBI has repeatedly had to fix policies or correct cases in order to pass. But ultimately, the lab did pass. And therefore, the SBI crime lab had remained in good standing (laughs) with Asgard lab. Oh, look, I passed. Mm -hmm. In fact, Keaton is quoted as saying, we bend over backward to help labs get there. We want them to pass. They bent over backwards to help labs get there. No, that's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> no. You're the regulatory body. You're supposed to say, no, dum-dums. Here's exactly. all the things you have to do. Now do it. Not like, come on, Jan. We're rooting for you. Here's the answers to the test. No. Yeah. 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 I mean, and when I say, yeah, I'm agreeing with you, not saying yeah to them. Like, right. fucking no. Right. Like, you're, like, you're, you, like you had said, you should be like saying, okay, we're going to give you a chance to You're the principal. The shit, but you shouldn't be like, okay, here's how you can like make it better and mm-hmm. look pretty and nobody will know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really work like that. It's so Or I mean, it does, but it's not supposed to. Also, we've discussed- Oh, there's more. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> also, we've discussed how expert testimony is more highly regarded by jurors. Of course, because so, like they're supposed to be an expert. Mm-hmm. They're going to tell me the stuff that I don't understand. Right. The thing is, the accreditation of the crime lab proves to practically everyone that the crime lab was doing stellar work that was sanctioned by Asgard Lab. So when the accredited lab's employees testify, their testimony carries way more weight. Right. Because one presumes, if they're accredited, that they're being watched over by an entity that is not bending over backwards to help labs pass its inspection. Totally. Yeah. A defense lawyer that I spoke to, who's also part of the New York State Commission of Forensic Science, a guy named Marvin Schechter, wrote in a memo in 2011 where he says, Asglad Lab could more properly be described as a product service organization which sells, for a fee, a seal of approval. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. And this is something that laboratories can utilize to bolster their credibility. And that's what we're going to get into right now. But- okay. So this guy, Marvin Schechter, is a defense attorney in New York, and he was minding his own business, his words, 
in his office when he got a call from a friend in D.C. A commission was being formed to identify needs from forensic science. They wanted a multidisciplinary entity with scientists, lawyers, judges, and he even mentioned podcasters, but I think he was trying to get on my good side. Spoiler alert, he did. They just wanted a well-rounded committee with differing perspectives about the needs from forensic science. And the commission didn't have a defense attorney. They wanted one. So Marvin's friend recommended him. With this commission, he co-authored the National Academy of Sciences report in 2009 entitled Strengthening Forensic Science in the United States, A Path Forward. And Keith, as you might recall, we've mentioned the National Academy of Sciences 2009 report a few times in this podcast. And at one point, Jess was super rude and (laughs) called me out for seeing Academy in a super Minnesota accent, which was super (laughs) interesting. (laughs) You said Academy. I said Academy. (laughs) Anyway, this report was a 350-page comprehensive look at forensic science that identified the needs of the forensic science world and also made informed recommendations to the forensic science community. So it wasn't just focused at the SBI, just in general? Just in general. Okay. And they recommended like super weird things like people hired to do scientific work should have scientific backgrounds. Whoa, that is way too progressive. And like why should you be qualified to do your job? Right? They need to lower the expectations. Or like labs should be independent of law enforcement. Gasp. What? I know. It's just pipe dream stuff. Hmm. Right. But the one thing that the report didn't look at was accrediting bodies for the forensic labs in the country. Oh, and so it didn't look like it. Look at the LMNOP. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. What's it? Asclad lab. But the one thing that the report didn't look at was the accrediting bodies for forensic labs in the country. And because turns out a lot of corruption does happen, people like Marvin were getting concerned about labs oversight or lack thereof. Namely, accrediting entities like Asgard Lab, as these entities didn't actually seem bothered by egregious cases of wrongdoing. And so, Marvin wrote this memo to the New York State Commission of Forensic Science on March 25th, 2011. I was deep in the Google rabbit hole when I stumbled across an Australian version of Business Insider, and it mentioned this memo. And I was like, ooh, what's that? Like, (laughs) basically, I was like a kid on Christmas morning. Or me on opening day of football, School of Vikings. Or understand. me. <laughs> He's thinking again. <laughs> okay, we lost so, him. So it's like me finding out there's more research to do. Mm-hmm. Yay, research. Yay. I got super excited. <laughs> He's thinking still. So I dug deeper and I found this memo. It was a detailed analysis about Asglad Lab and forensic laboratory accreditation. I read it twice. And then I emailed him, Marvin. He was in London at the time, but we set up a call for the following week. So here's what I did find out in speaking with him and in reading his memo. Around the same time all this shit was going down in North Carolina after Greg Taylor was exonerated, the SFPDCL, oh, come on. which is the San Francisco the Police Department one? Crime Lab. San Francisco. Okay, that one's kind of normal. They were also garnering attention. Because it turned out that a tech in the drug testing, like, area had been pilfering cocaine from the lab for personal use. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) at least it's consistently terrible everywhere. (laughs) 
In May of 2010, the drug section of the lab was shut down. Apparently, there had been a whistleblower who had revealed in two letters, one sent in 2008 to a public defender and another in 2009 to Lab. The letters revealed that there had been, this is a quote, a DNA test tube mix-up by a tech that had been covered up by a supervisor. And in July of 2009, Lab sent a letter to the crime lab manager and that manager denied knowing about the incident. Yeah. Same what? Right. So after investigating the incident and verifying that there was a DNA mix-up and finding out the files were destroyed in an effort to cover all of it up, Asglad Lab accredited this lab for another five years. Oh, come on. Right. How did all these people not get fired? <laughs> or like... They're bending over backwards to help them pass. Yep. So the <sighs> thing is... The thing is, in 2009, the NYSIG... That's what what the, the hell are these ones? That's the New York State Inspector General. Oh, that's pretty normal. That person <laughs> issued a report that mentioned the SFPDCL <laughs> and its issues. <laughs> it also mentioned a tech working in the NYSPFIC. <laughs> Just going to remind everybody of the title of this episode. NYF, wait, New York... <laughs> Financial NYS Forensic Institute no, no, no. Coalition. NYS. Oh, what? Say NYS. New York State. PFIC. Professional Forensic. I don't know. Oh, New York State. Close. New York State Police Forensic Investigation Center. Okay. What the? Oh, just. Sh- okay. So it. Uh. It mentioned a tech working in the center. These are exhausting. With regards to that tech having fabricated fiber analysis evidence. So this was a report that was issued by the New York State Inspector General. Okay. And it mentioned this tech that had done this fucked up. Was his name Schmain Weaver? <laughs> 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 you need to do that with a New York accent, though. Schmain Weaver. <laughs> Who wants to know? Who wants to know? Oh, fucking Schmain Weaver. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this report also mentioned a tech working in the New York State Police Forensic Investigation Center. And it mentioned this tech having fabricated fiber analysis evidence. So all of that tomfoolery, it all occurred while the lab was being accredited by Asglad Lab. I mean, yeah. Yep. In fact, a guy named Jay Jarvis, the chairman of Asglad Lab Board of Directors, referred to this report that mentioned these cases of wrongdoing in an article that he had written, meaning that he and therefore Asglad Lab was fucking aware of these issues. Yep. Yeah. But in all of these cases, it was just one person, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't. Uh, are you going to tell me that's not the truth? Well, no. I mean, it's that tech or that supervisor at the, what was it? SFPDCL. They're all just a one-off situation. Like, of course, there's, there's no, not a systemic problem with. Mm. There's no pattern here. No. Right. Just a couple of bad eggs. Right. Mm. Except for maybe the emerging pattern is wrongdoing in multiple labs. Right. 
And Maybe then that's a covering thing. Covering that up. Mm-hmm. Right. So And then lying on the stand. That one person. And then not thing- handing over evidence. <laughs> oh, sorry. I go Shall on I go and on? on, and on. <laughs> But it's just that one person who did everything in the world. Not all the labs being messed Mm -hmm. up. Right. Just Schmain Weaver. (laughs) So that's what we've been hearing. Mm -hmm. It's just one person in one lab. And that brings us to Dwayne Deaver. He is the man who got all the fingers pointed at him. And yet... He's not the fucking worst person in the NC SBI crime lab. No, I mean, he gets a lot of the flack because he's been notor- like he's notorious now from the staircase and things right. like that. So he gets a lot of fingers, but there's plenty of other pieces of shit there, allegedly. And yet, it also seems in North Carolina, he also gets a lot of the same fingers. Like, it's not just about the staircase. Like, he was the guy. He was the reason that the NC SBI crime lab. He was the scapegoat. Audited. Right. So we figured that episode 11 was a good time to cover Dwayne Deaver. So, well, just well. You want to learn who Peter Dwayne Deaver was? His name's not even Dwayne? <laughs> you what? hardly know him. I feel like I know nothing at all. <laughs> it's all been a lie. But I like the name Peter. Well, you might not anymore. <sighs> Let's start this biography of Peter Dwayne Deaver by remembering that the NAS report in 2009 recommended that lab employees have a science background in biology or chemistry. So, Deaver graduated from North Carolina State University with a degree in zoology in 1984. (laughs) So he liked, like, elephants. Maybe. He's real good with penguins. Mm Mm-hmm. On December 1st, 1985, Deaver was hired by the SBI in the serology section of the SBI crime lab. Deaver attended the SBI Academy in March of 1986 and worked his first serology case in 1988. At that time, a man named Mark Nelson was in charge of the serology section. And in 2010, Deaver was noted a bajillion times in the audit. As you may (laughs) recall, he was involved with at least 50 of the 230 cases mentioned in the audit. High score. Yeah, one of the highest. But not the highest. Yeah, Yeah. he was up there, but not the winner. On the same day the audit was released, Dwayne Deaver was suspended from his work with pay. Deaver was advised that he personally was the subject of an administrative investigation. I don't know if you, if we talked about this. Yeah. You remember, yeah. On January 7th, 2011, Deaver was officially fired, which rhymes with retired, but is actually fired. <laughs> <laughs> Good joke. <laughs> and the reasons behind the firing were the following. He was asked to look over some evidence in October of 2010 while he was the subject of the internal investigation. His looking over the evidence was actually sanctioned by the SBI. However, in late October, without permission, Deaver assisted a criminal profiler to writing a formal complaint related to the case. But he asked for his name to be removed from the complaint or the file. This is all kind of confusing to us because he did help with the complaint. But it was something that he was not allowed to be doing while he was on administrative leave. He was like, let me do this, but don't tell anybody. Take my name right. off it because I'm under investigation right now. So right. I'm not supposed to be doing it. But yeah. he got caught. So he ended up. So he sucked at that too. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like he was trying to cover up some kind of shenanigans. Sounds like it. Yeah. And yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. And so this was one of the reasons that he was fired. Um, the other reasons were on September 3rd, 2009, at the hearing before the Innocence Inquiry Commission, Deaver told the IIC that there was no further testing in Greg Taylor's case. We remember that. Right. Yeah. Which there so. was, he just didn't report it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 
And lastly, the infamous performance of him saying, that's a rap baby, at the end of the video where Gerald Thomas was performing tests to shore up things for the prosecution, that was another reason. That was the one where Gerald Thomas like had blood on a knife. Oh, the, like, the swipey. T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All in all, it's like because he was unprofessional and not qualified to do the job. Basically. Hiding like, things, lying, and faking things. All around shady. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so because of these reasons, he was fired, but about a month later, on February 16th, 2011, Deaver met with SBI Director McLeod in an effort to get his job back, but he doesn't provide enough evidence to do so. And he's the face of all the wrongdoing in this lab, so it's unlikely that anyone with any power is going to help him out. Deaver officially appealed his firing, and the case went before the State Human Resources Committee. He contended that he did not perjure himself at Greg Taylor's trial. And that may actually be the truth. Apparently, he rushed through the reading of the file on Greg in his car just before the hearing, which seems like a very... That seems... Well, I don't know if I buy that. Okay. He also defended himself about the fucked up video where he and Gerald Thomas inspired the cult classic Science Science Woot Woot. Deaver claimed that he didn't know the sound would be on during the recording and he was completely embarrassed, which I feel like doesn't matter. You still no. did it. Yeah, yeah. that's not, like, not even an excuse. That's just like, oh, I'm sorry you recorded it and caught me. Right. That's well, not like I didn't do it. Yes. Like that, that was, that's not an argument. Like you still did it. Right. Okay. So I feel like Deaver wanted to be really liked and he was really liked. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to ensure that he was always really liked. And part of that was the that's a rat baby and that whole persona that he was like, I think, putting on. And I feel like it was not really who he is. Do you know what I mean? Does that, does that no, make sense? No, I get it. Like he wanted to fit with the cool kids. But yeah. that also doesn't take away from no. the things that. It's his fucking job. And he right. has. Lives like on you're the a, line. You're a scientist. Like, Correct. Well, you're supposed to be a scientist. Right. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. But like sorry. so far, his arguments are pretty weak. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, no clue if that's true. But he also presented the video from the reconstruction he did with Susie Barker and the Michael Peterson case. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, yeah. the staircase. Oh, I know that one. Yes. Where she jumps up and down. And, like, yeah, this, high like, five. Nailed dance. it. Yeah. So she was only reprimanded at that time. So it's probably fair to compare the two. So he was kind of saying like, well, look, she only got this. Why am I getting fired? She only got kind of a slap on the wrist. I feel like that's fair. Yeah, because it was yeah. very, they're similar circumstances. So Both being unprofessional in videos yeah. dealing with crime scene reconstructions. Mm-hmm. So I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. In reality, the shit he did in the SBI crime lab, everyone was doing. Some even worse than he was. Hi, David Spittle, of nearly half of the cases in the audit report. (laughs) (laughs) The state human resources decision in deciding Deaver's fate is out there on the interwebs. So you can Google it if you'd like. The decision will be on the Facebook website. We're going to be posting all of our research next week. Yeah. Okay. His lawyer brought up the fact that, quote, Deaver was a scapegoat by the SPI as a means of deflecting public criticism. Deaver's lawyer wasn't wrong. He was the fall guy, a guilty soldier. 
But by having Deaver, there was no real need to get rid of anyone else. So it's almost like an outwardly facing thing where it's like, we're dealing with the problem because now right. the public knows there's an issue. With well, yeah, like, like the, PR, the PR team came in, put it all on him. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, we're handling it. We're getting rid of him. And so now the public can rest assured we're, we're on the up and up again. It's yeah. just that one guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like once he's gone, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Anyway, the State Human Resources Commission came to a conclusion about Deaver's firing. They said that the lesser disciplinary action would have been appropriate for Deaver, that he should have been demoted with a 10% reduction in his salary. They did note, however, that on July 16, 2013, during an appellate process for the Michael Peterson case, again from the staircase, Deaver was found to have presented false or misleading evidence, and that would have been grounds for termination. So... In November 2014, Deaver was unfired and then reinstated into his previous position. He was awarded two years of back pay and, quote, all the other benefits of continuous state employment Mm -hmm. from the date of his dismissal through the date of the Peterson decision. How how the fuck did he get reinstated? Because it was illegal the way that he was fired. There was nothing that had actual evidence supporting his firing he should have just been demoted and but that's not true in the like he had presented he had not presented he had withheld evidence he had done fucked up shit like how But it was all sanctioned by the sbi it was all written policy policy. it was there was nothing that he did that other employees at that crime lab weren't also yeah but that shouldn't you shouldn't reward that behavior but then they would have to fire them as well. Fire all of them. They didn't I agree. To. Yeah. I agree. But now you're putting somebody who's proven to do shady shit back in charge of other people's lives. Like, that's... No, no, no. Well, I haven't said the next thing yet. So he was fired again the same day he was unfired, but the firing date was backdated to July 16th, 2013. Which is the day oh, that he got two... Peterson... He got back pay. Yeah, he was busted... In 2013. Right. But at that point in 2013, he had already been fired. Uh-huh. Because he was years. fired in 2011. Right. Right. So they unfired him. hmm And then they re-fired him on the day that they realized that he had fucked up in Michael Peterson's case. Yes. Which was July 16th, 2013. But present day was 2014. So they're like, you're... So they did like a, my bad, you should have been fired. Then they're like, oh, my bad, my bad. Yeah, you should have been fired. Correct. <laughs> hmm. So we got two years of extra money that he shouldn't have had. And basically. benefits. The reality yeah. is these people are fucking Teflon. Right. Because meanwhile, Susie Barker, she of the jumping up and down fame, is she still employed. She the 80s mall bang. <laughs> she loves her hair. Okay, so she is she is still employed with the SBI. And now? Ger- uh-huh. And Gerald Thomas has climbed the ladder to almost the very top of the SBI. Oh, good for him. Right. We talked about how he's now the deputy director yeah. of the entire fucking SBI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just following his footsteps, guys. <laughs> and everything's great. <laughs> Nothing so, to see here. Right. Right. So as we've been saying for this entire podcast, Dwayne Deaver's not the only one. And that seems to be standard operating protocol in labs across America. We're not going to get into more of those. More about George Good's case, more acronyms, and I'll have some tinfoil hat theories about Dwayne Deaver in the next episode, Acronyms Are Fucked Up, Part 2. Great. 
Thanks so much for listening. As you all know by now, we like to highlight the organizations our experts love, and Marvin Schechter loves the New York State Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. He says they really joined the fight to get the commission he's a part of enacted. Not only that, but he really believes they use their funds well. Their nonprofit foundation can be found at nysacdl.site-ym.com. Please donate time, money, and whatever you can. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. And as always, we'd love for you to join us on our social media, where we'll be posting links to our research, photos, and videos on our Facebook page. You can find us on all platforms, Facebook, Insta, and Twitter at Podcast. That's E-F-F-E-D-U-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. If you need to reach us via email, it's the same deal. Podcast at gmail.com. And finally, we don't like to shill for ourselves, but this podcast isn't about us. Fucked Up or Effed Up is about helping other people, but in order to do that, we need to get the word out. So if you have a moment to spare, please rate us on whatever app you use to listen to us. It will help us become more visible and help us elevate the voices of the victims and survivors who have been impacted. If you have more than a moment and want to help us get the word out, please tell people, share links. The more people know about these injustices, the more changes that can be made. Let's create a fucking social injustice league and change the fucked up world. Effed up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Done. Aft Up is executive produced by myself, Priya Hubbard, and Jessica Borges. Research and story is by me, Priya Hubbard. Additional research done by me, Jessica Borges. Executive Inquisitor is Keith Burke. Episode recaps written by Brandy Abbott. Social media hall monitors, Brandy Abbott and Paloma Diaz. Cover art is by Allie Kelly. You can find her work at Allie Kelly Illustrations on Instagram. That's A-L-L-I-E-K-E-L-L-E-Y Illustrations on Instagram. Our music is composed by Allegra Borges. Executive in charge of support, Jeff Berg. Technical consultant, Randy Maringer of Maringer and Unger. On-air distractions provided by Nima and Newman, a.k.a. Newman. Additional investigations are provided by Cat Detectives, Monsieur Hercule Poirot, and Captain Hastings. Let's do not, not do that. Keep talking. I'm going to get one. Can I have some too, please? Because yes, I am happy in person. I'm good. I have some. Did you hear what I just said? I am happy in person. I am happy in person? <laughs> Is that broken English? I am happy and person. <laughs> Yikes. Maybe... <laughs> Somebody shouldn't be allowed to drink anymore. <laughs> More wine, please. <laughs> Mas vino. It's only going to get better from here, guys. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Special thanks to Diane Savage and Marvin Schechter.